Listen up, mucker feathers. If you just can't get enough of 83 weeks, we've got tons more waiting for you over at adfreeshows.com. Bonus episodes, all the archives with zero, yes, I said zero ads. Plus, we've got interactive events and experiences with yours truly. You can ask me anything. Chat one-on-one during our live locked and loaded events. And if you joined us in Chicago this year for Top Guy Weekend, we got to hang out the entire freaking weekend, and it was a blast. I can't wait for Top Guy Weekend 2022. Hey, you want to hear me rip Greg Gagne, Vince Russo, and others a new one on our popular Eric Fires Back series? I eviscerate Twitter trolls on mean tweet receipts, plus bonus watch-alongs and tons more. Do yourself a favor. Right now, Google the internet and you won't find a better value in all of wrestling than over at adfreeshows.com. You not only get 83 weeks, but all of Conrad Thompson's podcasts early and ad-free and on video for as low as $9 a month. Come on, man. You can't beat it. Join the family today at adfreeshows.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We greatly appreciate your support. But before we get started, I wanted to tell you about a success story. I wanted to tell you about my friend Carl up in New Boston, Michigan. He listens to our pods every week, and he heard me talking about how I might be able to help him out. So he hit me up over at SaveWithConrad.com. He just closed last month, and he left us a five-star review, and he had this to say. Not only did we save over $100,000 on our mortgage by removing several years off of it, he also saved us a few months of payments. In follow-up, Conrad and Steve are super helpful when I had additional questions. You can't go wrong here with Save with Conrad. Definitely worth the call to understand what your savings could be. Take Carl's word for it. He saved more than a hundred grand. What have you got to lose? Be like Carl. Go to SaveWithConrad.com right now and find out how much money you can save for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Why not you? Why not now? Go to SaveWithConrad.com and find out how much money you can save for free. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get a quick quote right now. You'll thank me later and you'll be glad you did. SaveWithConrad.com. Hello, this is Paul Bromwell, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I am doing great. Lori and I and Nikki, our Australian catalog slash blue healer, jumped in the truck on Wednesday, and we drove to Minneapolis, where we're recording this um, at my brother's house, and... uh, Getting ready to go to, I've got an appearance tonight. Now, of course, we're recording this on the weekend, so this will all be history uh, by the time this podcast hits. But uh, tonight I'm doing a 
personal appearance in Lacrosse, Wisconsin that I'm really looking forward to. And then tomorrow night, I get to check off a bucket list item, and we're going to go see the Rolling Stones. So I'm really excited about that. Very nice. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. All right, Eric, let's run one more time out and talk about our friends over at Feels. Feels is a better way to feel better. Of course, Feels is a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free and delivered directly to your door. Now, if you're not familiar with CBD, I want to give you a heads up. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel. Stress, anxiety, pain. Maybe you've been struggling with nervousness or sleeplessness. Here's a solution without the harmful side effects. You see, CBD is going to naturally help you reduce all of that. The stress, the anxiety, the pain, the sleeplessness. But best of all, with no hangover and no addiction. And this has been something that really worked in the Bischoff household. Right, Eric? I absolutely wholeheartedly love this product and i'll be honest conrad i was cynical at first because i've tried probably a dozen or more different cbd oils over the last two or three years i think um some of it i purchased over the counter because i was curious some of it was uh, product was referred to me by friends or whatever I've always been disappointed with it. It was always like, yeah, good gimmick, but mm, eh, nothing there. And when Feels came on and we, as we've talked about before, get an opportunity to sample the product to make sure that we feel good about endorsing it, I was cynical. But I thought, okay, let's give it a shot. And one of the first things I noticed when I opened up the package is there's very specific instructions regarding dosage because everybody's well everyone's body reacts everybody's body chemistry reacts slightly differently so you get a good kind of um, pathway a roadmap if you will that allows you to kind of adjust dosages based on what your goals are for example i'm fortunate knock on wood i have no pain i've got no issues with joint pain or arthritis or any aches and pains from silly stuff that i did growing up um but Sleep has always been an issue for me for as long as I can remember. And I thought, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a shot. So following the dosage recommendations in the package of feels, my first night, you know, I, I, it's a, a sublingual. You know, you put it under your tongue. And I went to sleep, and I don't think I have ever had a deep sleep. And I want to bring up something that's really important about that. There's a difference between knocking yourself out with narcotics, even melatonin, you know, things like that over the counter. I've tried melatonin years. I've tried it off and on and it puts me to sleep. But unfortunately, I wake up with a head that feels like a bucket of wet cement and it takes me three hours to kind of get out of the fog. So melatonin didn't work for me, but feels put me into a real deep sleep. It's called rapid movement or REM state. You know you when you're in a deep sleep, when you have vivid dreams that you can recall when you wake up. And I went into such a deep sleep and I woke up and honestly, I felt more refreshed than I think I ever had because I was able to get into that complete deep sleep, not a surface sleep or every little noise wakes you up or, you know, if you're slightly uncomfortable, it wakes you up. I mean, I went out, I laid down. I don't think my head moved or six and a half or seven hours until I woke up. And I woke up feeling 
awesome. I love this product, and I've even experimented with dosages now where, for example, if I get up in the morning and I'm working on something that I have to focus on, and I really, really want to focus and not be distracted and be thinking about other things, there's even a dosage recommendation for focus during the course of the day. And because you don't get that THC high or anything remotely close to that, nothing associated with it, it not only does it help me sleep at night, but at certain times during the day when I know I have to be on my game, I use it to focus. I love this product. Can't speak highly enough of it. Can't recommend it enough. By the way, it's simple. You place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes. Now, the thing to remember about CBD, as Eric alluded to, is that finding your right dose is important and really everyone's dose is different. So feels has your back. They've set up a free CBD hotline to help you guide you through your personal experience to make sure you find your perfect dose. The customer service team there at feels is dedicated to making sure that you get the best use out of your CBD. Here's another heads up. When you join the feels monthly membership, it makes your self-care routine easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel anytime. So why not start feeling better with feels become a member today, going to feels.com slash 83 weeks, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F E A L S.com slash 83 weeks to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off of your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com slash 83 weeks. Well, Eric, it sounds like you're having a good trip. And, uh, man, what a week though it has been in wrestling. And I feel like it all started in terms of everything going down in social media. When this show launched on Monday, we had to pivot this week. We were originally supposed to discuss nitro from 1999, but you, my friend, you got something off your chest last week and it lit uh, the internet on fire. All of social media had a meltdown and it had to do with your comments right here on this show regarding AEW and Tony Khan. And don't you know, they found their way to Tony and he had a response for you on busted open radio. Did you hear anything about this? I, I know that it happened, but I haven't heard the interview. I know you sent it to me uh, yesterday or day before, and I had every intention of taking a look at it before we record. But I know I've said this before, but this is a perfect example. I, I want to hear them the first time. I want my reaction to be a real reaction and authentic to what I'm hearing. I don't want to have, you know, thoughts and ideas and a response already planned in my head because sometimes those, I just don't like doing it that way. I like, I like a real visceral response, not a prepared speech, so to speak. Well, guys and gals, as I said, we had to do a format change. Nitro 99 went out the window and we're going to open the floodgates. We've uh, decided to do ask anything for this episode. And Eric, we had hundreds of questions, pages. And I'm going to tell you, we're not going to get to all of them this time, but we are going to save them for another show as well. But before we get to that, we had to open it up for the audience. We want you to hear what Tony Khan had to say about you, Eric, on Busted Open. So here we go. Let's just take the NFL, for for example. Some owners act in certain ways. There's not a uniform way to, to act. Some owners, you have some owners that are quiet and do it behind the scenes. And then you have owners like a Jerry Jones that's very vocal because he loves being the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. So he's a cheerleader for his team that he owns. And I feel that's the same way with you, Tony. And I know that with that, 
there's some negativity. You know, there there was the quote this week from like Eric Bischoff about, you know, shut up and wrestle. Well, you know what? For you, and you're very proud of what you are and what you've accomplished and how AEW, you know what? You're not somebody that's just going to shut up. You're, you're vocal about it. And, you know, a lot of people have said about going head-to-head. Well, you did have head-to-head competition. You didn't ask for it. It came to you, and you were able to, to win that head-to-head competition. You know, for you, did you even think about that? Like, oh, should I be quiet at certain times? Or do you, are you just, hey, I'm Tony Khan. I'm proud to be the owner of AEW, and I'm going to be vocal. Uh, it's a great question, Dave. Uh, well, I really like Eric, and I was kind of surprised by Eric's comments because they were coming from Eric Bischoff. <laughs> and I think Eric Bischoff is probably the last person anybody would expect to say that they think the president of a wrestling company should uh, be quiet. Uh, but then when it comes to head-to-head competition, like you said, Dave, uh, we were in a head-to-head competition this past week. It was only 30 minutes, and I didn't ask for it. You know, We were in our time slot, and somebody came into our time slot aggressively. And it wasn't the first time, so, you know, they made a pretty aggressive move like that. And we generally responded pretty well and been very successful. This is the first time on a Friday we've gone head to head like that. And, you know, I thought it was pretty aggressive what they came in with. They loaded it up with the biggest stars they had. And I had to make a choice. Do I change up the card we have, which has got some big stars, but, you know, you have CM Punk, who's one of the biggest names in all of wrestling, and he's wrestling Matt Seidel, who's a great high flyer, a great technical wrestler, and very respected, but not the biggest box office name in all of wrestling. And that's a great match for the fans. And then I have to think, well, do I change that to a a crazy box office match to try to go head-to-head? And no, I didn't. I I stuck with the matches we had because I believe in our wrestlers, even if it wasn't necessarily the, the three most stacked matches. The irony is that this week's Rampage, uh, you know, also came in very stacked, whether there was going to be head-to-head competition or not. You know, I I generally try and make it a strong card, and that card was announced, the three matches, before I had any idea that we would be going head-to-head with anybody. And uh, I was amused by Eric's comments. Again, I like Eric when we're together, but, you know, uh, this is the ultimate example, I think, of glass houses in some ways, knowing how Eric conducted himself when he was the president of WCW. And uh, and really, bring he did ask for the head-to-head competition, and I think he said publicly, you know, I should be going for that. But it's, I don't decide when the shows are on. Uh, this time slot, we had looked at a couple of different slots, and this was... Uh, one that they thought would do well, and I was pretty supportive of because I it allowed. Right, let me let me let, let's. There's a lot there, so let, let's let me preface this all. First of all, I like Tony a lot. I mean, I don't know Tony really well. We've crossed paths on several occasions. We've done an interview together. I've been on his show a couple times, and. All of them were really enjoyable experiences that I was grateful for. It was fun to go back and see people that I've worked with for 15, 20, 25 years or more. You know, a lot of the the production team that is a part of AEW worked for me at WCW. So it was it was a pleasant experience, more than pleasant. Um, But I first want to address the head to head narrative. Now, as you know, Paul, I've. I've been very supportive of AEW 
uh, several weeks ago when AEW made their uh, appearance at Arthur Ashe in New York. I was nothing but complimentary and excited. And that's a very bold, aggressive, risky move, establishing yourself in a market the way they did and doing it so successfully. And in, in fact, and I'll paraphrase myself here because I don't have the, the tweet in front of me, but I, I said something to the effect of, you know, I've got a very, uh, a huge dose of healthy envy, not jealousy, but envy for Tony and in everybody associated with AEW, because I know that feeling of making a big move like that and having it pay off and the energy that, that they received in the crowd and they earned. I know what that feels like. And I, I envied everybody involved in a healthy way. You know, it's like, wow, they're actually doing it. So I'm, I'm fully supportive of AEW and I only reiterate that and feel the need to because my social media, you know, yours is blown up. <laughs> you should see mine. You know, that, that clip that, that was played that was a part of our podcast last week. I've never had anything on my social media explode the way that did. I've got over a million, well over a million. You know, impressions, we've got 214,000 people watch that video. And by the way, you should see our demos. Oh, my God. <laughs> trending worldwide. Just, trending worldwide. On our, on our uh, 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 you know, if you looked at our demos on a percentage basis, this podcast has a much higher, much higher demo uh, success than AEW or WWE. So should I go around bragging about that? We're a better, our podcast is a more popular podcast than AEW or WWE is a, a television show? Absolutely not. That would be stupid. But the, the, the core of this debate, and it is a debate, because again, I'm fully supportive of Tony and AEW and everybody there. The core of this, though, is not that Tony spoke out, not that Tony's proud of his company, not that Tony even speaks out rather aggressively about his product. He should do that. I would be disappointed if he didn't do that. But it's the manipulation of data to create the impression that there is this head-to-head -head competition. And this all started way before, and I never commented on this stuff before because I don't have a dog in the hunt and it's fun to watch, right? But to suggest as has they as has been going on for quite some time that based on a percentage of a demo and compared to a show that's on a completely different night against completely different competition that somehow that correlates to AEW being a more popular or better product i've got an issue with that not an issue with believing as tony obviously does and the talent obviously does as well they should um that they're a better product subjectively, I would agree in many cases and have many times in social media. I've been equally as, I'm going to use the word critical, but I don't mean to be critical. It's, it's more of a constructive criticism, but I've spoken out consistently about the WWE product and what I feel is wrong with it from lack of storylines, lack of structured storylines that have you know, an arc and, and, and build and create anticipation. That's a, to me, that is a huge problem in WWE. And I've been more than um, free with my comments in that regard, both before I went to work 
for AEW this last time for that cup of coffee I had in Stanford. Um, and, and afterwards, so for, and again, I'm reacting to some of the social media stuff that I've seen, you know, to suggest that I'm, you know, kissing WWE's ass or, I mean, that's stupid. That's childish and it's stupid because it's not true. And anybody that pays attention to anything I says knows that. And I have been, I'll call it supportively constructive of some of the things that I see and don't see in AEW, but not in a, in my opinion, not in a negative way, just in an observational context. But the idea that number one, AEW, and, and more often than not, it's, you know, the Dave Meltzer's and the Brian Alvarez's and, and those of that ilk that are trying to twist and turn data and interpret data in, in a way to try to create this impression that they're actually in a competition. That's where I, that's where I throw a flag personally. But for the first time, I'm going to explain exactly why, unlike previous comments that were very similar that I've heard in social media and from Tony and from people in AEW on social media, this is the first time that I reacted the way that I did. And what pulled my trigger was Tony came out before the head-to-head, it's not even head-to-head competition, before the Friday night in question. And he reacted, and I don't blame him for reacting the way he did. But part of his reaction included a comment that really pissed me off. When Tony came out and said, if Ted Turner knew 1% about what I do about professional wrestling, WCW would still be in business. That lit my fucking fuse for a couple of reasons. And you and I touched on it last week. But for all the people that I'm guessing are probably tuning into this podcast to to hear what my follow-up is, let me remind you. Let me let, let me point out a couple of things. I am 99%, Tony Khan doesn't have a fucking idea what he's talking about in terms of if Ted Turner was a wrestling fan. I know I don't. I can find out. I can call his son, Teddy, and probably will soon uh, because I'm curious as to how far back Ted Turner's um, relationship or professional wrestling, you know, when did that start? Was, was Ted a wrestling fan growing up? I don't know. And neither does Tony. So right off the bat, Tony made a statement that was misleading and ignorant, ignorant in, in the literal sense of the word. Now, Tony's, I'll, I'll say the same thing that Tony said about Tony, uh, Ted, Tony said, well, Ted Turner may be a lot smarter than I am, but if he knew 1% about wrestling, you know, I'm sure Tony is a much more intelligent person than I am. Tony's a really brilliant guy. I'm pretty smart. Tony's really, really, really smart, right? So this isn't when I use the term ignorant, I mean, you know, lack of information and knowledge, which is, I think, the definition of the word ignorant. And that's its application here. Number one, it was an ignorant statement. For Tony to compare himself to Ted Turner, if there's anything that's laughable, that's it. You know, the last time I checked, the T and TNT and the T and TBS stands for Turner, which was a media empire that Ted started from scratch 
And for Tony to be in a position he is and AEW is on a Ted Turner network to come out and suggest that Ted knew nothing about professional wrestling, which he doesn't know if that's true or not. And then to, and what made it worse, and this is like the height of the literal definition of ignorance. And this one was self-inflicted, right? For Tony to suggest that if Ted knew as much about professional wrestling as Tony Khan does, that WCW would still be around, I'm going to ask Guy Evans to send Tony the Nitro book that he that Guy wrote. Because Guy Evans interviewed over a hundred people from Turner who at that time, some of them worked for me. They were people that reported to me. Some of them didn't even report to me. They reported to others who reported to me. They were down the food chain, the corporate food chain, so to speak, the flow chart, if you will. But Guy also interviewed people that were way, way above my pay grade that were hands-on instrumental in, in, in Turner at the time of the AOL Time Warner merger and all of the things that that represented. And most of them were very negative. Those executives know why WCW isn't around. And all of that is in the book. And all Tony would have to do is read that book. And Tony would realize that it wasn't because Ted Turner didn't know 1% of what Tony Khan knows about professional wrestling. That was a really stupid comment to make. And I was very disappointed to hear it. Now I've said stupid things. I'm capable of that. Shit. I'll probably say some stupid things on this podcast. I get it when you're emotionally charged and you're involved and you're in the fight. Sometimes dumb shit comes out of your mouth. Guilty as charged, but that one, that one lit me up. And, and, and I reacted viscerally. It was an honest reaction on our podcast. Um, I still feel as strongly about it today as I did last week. That was a really dumb comment. Tony Khan, I know Ted Turner, and you are no Ted Turner. So that's what made me go, you know what? I'm, for whatever it is, just for my own entertainment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this shit in context. AEW is not in head-to-head competition. They are just not. They're in the same industry. Now, you can say, well, they came at us and they extended that half hour into our time slot and that was an aggressive move. And that would be a fact. That is a fact. But to, to somehow spin that and try to suggest that you are a more popular product, you are a more successful product, you are winning some kind of a ratings war that only exists in the minds of dirt sheet writers and people that want to try to spin reality. That's not right. And my whole take on this was, and by the way, another disclaimer here, I am not encouraging Tony to go head to head with WWE. I think that would be a bad move. It's just not time yet, right? They're only a two-year-old company. They've got a long, long runway ahead of them to grow their audience and to grow their product. But right now, arguably, they haven't done such a great job of growing that audience. And once they do, now, let me clarify that, because clearly 
based on the comments that I get, people don't really listen or think too much about what I'm saying. They react uh, emotionally, but they got a long way to go, man, before they're in head to head competition. All I'm suggesting is rather than claiming that you're competing against and somehow you're competing favorably because you're comparing a percentage of your demos on your Wednesday night show to a percentage of the demos on Monday Night Raw. Notice they don't talk about SmackDown too much. But on Monday Night Raw, when Monday Night Raw is going against, you know, Monday Night Football, which has probably got one of the highest concentrations of male 18 to 49-year-old than just about anything else on TV in a given week, is, is a false equivalency. It's just not real. It's data gymnastics. So, I, 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 again, I, I hope Tony and I can maintain a relationship. If we do, I'm be grateful for that. If we don't, that's life. I've got no real skin in the game, but um, I'm just trying to clarify my, clarify my position. And I did take personal umbrage. There you go. Another new word, personal umbrage to the fact that Tony would compare himself the way he did to Ted Turner. I just think it was a, a dumb move. How do you banish high rates on car insurance? It's easy. You switch to Geico during Geico Ween. <laughs> Man, I love making that sound. Let me do that again. <laughs> October is Geico's favorite time of year. Geico's been working even harder to cast out high rates on car insurance and craft just the right coverage for you and your family. But here's the thing you may not know about GEICO. They could also help you uncover even more savings when you bundle the other things parked in your driveway, like your beloved motorcycle, your boat, or even that home away from home, your RV. GEICO could even help you save on homeowners and renters insurance. So visit GEICO.com today and you'll see firsthand that switching your insurance coverage doesn't have to be scary. In fact, the only thing that will haunt your nightmares is seeing just how much you could have saved had you switched sooner. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Happy Geico Ween! <laughs> Buddy, I think it's great that you, that was really the crux of, I think, where last week came from, right? That's the context, as you would say, from where Shut Up and Wrestle really started. It wasn't in that clip that went viral on social media, but I could see the visceral fire in your eyes. As I look at you right now, when you started to talk about what he said about Ted Turner, yet you were passionate about that. You said it yourself. You were triggered about what he said. And that was coming through the screen to me. And, uh, you know, there's the WWE only audience that wanted to hang on to every word that you said about shut up and wrestle to AEW and, uh, wanted to run with it. But in the context, as you say, it was just the fact of him running, uh, you know, running off at the mouth and bringing Ted Turner and his lack of knowledge of wrestling that I think was what finally, as you said here today, pushed you to say what you had to say and therefore had an emotional gut reaction. And no, so I'm, I'm glad that you, you shared that with us. Let's hear some more. Or there to be a really good block of wrestling on Friday night and I knew there would be a good amount of people watching wrestling on, on Friday anyway, and it was effectively an opportunity for people to watch everything in one night. Uh, and when we got the head-to-head competition, I, I thought um, we need to respond, we need to win, 
and we did. I was surprised that the competition was going to be commercial-free. Uh, I wasn't able to go completely uh, after talking to TNT without them, but I was able to get it scheduled to where we could do Punk versus Side L commercial-free. But I thought it was even more impressive, um, given that I was forced to take a couple breaks, you know, which is, uh, it was really great of TNT to work with us, I thought, on short notice to push a break back so that we could have that match uninterrupted. And, uh, you know, to me, it's, it's not up to us when the show is on. In this case, um, somebody moved aggressively into our time slot, and it was just really important for us uh, to do a good number and win the night, and we did. But I, I really wanted to rally the fans and, and put some attention on it. I also really believed we were going to win, and we did. And, uh, you know, we've, we've done really well in the demo, which is the thing that advertisers and the TV networks use to rate the shows. And so I know TNT was over the moon, just very excited about how we did. And we put our chips in. And a really smart person in wrestling said this to me a couple days ago. Uh, and somebody who works in AEW. And what's cool about AEW is, you know, I don't think these are just my chips. I mean, they're everyone's. We're a team. And if you're on the AEW team, these are your chips too. And somebody said to me, you know, Tony, you put all of our chips in and you made this bet and we won and it's awesome. And we're all so happy about it. And this is just a great time for us. And he was right. Context. And context. Let's, let's stop it there for a second. I don't disagree with much of what Tony's saying here, but again, it's the messaging, it's the narrative, it's the, well, I'll leave it at that. They won. Keep in mind, SmackDown was on a third or fourth tier cable outlet, FS1. Now, the uninformed, and, and again, not critical. If you're not in the industry, if you don't really understand where cable platforms lie within the rankings in terms of the average daily viewers, you would just say, well, they're on cable and we're on cable. Even playing field. No, it's not. TNT is typically in the top five or 10 of all cable outlets on a pretty consistent basis based on the time of year and things like that. But generally within the top 10 consistently, like probably 52 weeks a year. Out of those 52 weeks, probably 30 or 40% of the time, they may be in the top five. FS1 is typically in the bottom third of cable outlets. Now, they can be available in almost as many homes, but availability doesn't equate to, in a real world, popularity. I think the average daily audience for FS1 is probably somewhere around 184,000 viewers, where the average daily audience for TNT is probably in the five, six, seven hundred thousand viewers. That's a big difference. Yes, it's available. There's a million cable outlets that are available to me right now on my brother's television here in Minneapolis. Some of them I've never heard of before. Very few of them does anybody really watch. They're very small niche type cable outlets, which is what FS1 is. It's a sports network and it doesn't get a lot of viewership. So yeah, TNT moving from SmackDown where they have a definite advantage over AEW in terms of reach and popularity 
Sure, that's a decided advantage for WWE over TNT. But to suggest when SmackDown, whether it's going head-to-head for 30 minutes with you or not, um, you beat them while they're on a third or fourth-tier cable outlet is a little creative. It's not, not true, but... It's also not realistic either. It's not real head-to-head competition. And that is the core of my point. And the the reason why I tried to articulate, maybe I didn't do a good job. That's possible. I'm capable of that. My whole shut up and wrestle comment was either go head-to-head with him. You use the term head-to-head so often. Go head-to-head with them. Put your best show, which is Dynamite, up against their best show, which is SmackDown. That's not really fair because that's a that's a terrestrial network. So let's say go up against them on USA because USA and TNT are probably neck and neck in terms of popularity and, and average daily viewers. Put it head to head and see what happens. Let the audience decide who's got the better product. And that's a real head-to-head competition. And if you do that, Tony, or anybody in AEW, if you make that move and you do outperform WWE the way Nitro did, then by all means, brag your ass off. Come down from a motorcycle, a Bentley, or whatever it is you want to come down from out of the ceiling and, and put a crown on your head or do whatever you want to do and and gather that kind of momentum and that emotion and that reaction. But when you're on the sidelines, when you're not really playing on a level playing field and you 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 win a certain demographic during a limited period of time and try to spin that as a win, I'm sorry. I'm going to give you one more analogy here because I, because there's been so many references here. This, Imagine you had, thank you, dear. Now, Mrs. B, and she's sweet. Isn't it, it's a little bit like, let's say you're the owner of a AAA baseball team called the Muskegee Mud Hens. Now, I don't think there is a baseball team called the Muskegee Mud Hens, but this is just, the example will probably still be clear. And let's say as the owner of the Muskegee Mudhens, you've got a batter, you've got a player that bats 360 in, in AAA ball on the Muskegee Mudheads team. And then you come out in the media and say that your player, your batter who has that 360 or three, whatever it is, that high three, you know, batting average is better than a player on the New York Yankees or the LA Dodgers who has a 186 batting average. Anybody that follows baseball would go, well, that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. Statistically, yes, you're kind of suggesting something that is statistically true, but so out of context, it doesn't mean a fucking thing. And that was, that's the core of my position on all of this. Either do it and go head to head, or as I said, and it turned out to be a great t-shirt, by the way, they're selling like hotcakes. 
unbelievable. Shut up and wrestle. And then, and, and when the time comes, then go head to head if that's important to you and important to your business model. But to, you know, for, for the acolytes and the sycophants and the ass kissers that, you know, are out there writing this stuff and spinning this stuff on a daily basis. Dave Meltzer, you know who you are. Brian Alvarez, you little twit. You know, for, for, for you all to be out there trying to paint the statistical picture that somehow AEW is a better product and more popular with the audience is laughable. It's, it's not real. So do one or the other. Either get out there and freaking compete, go head to head, grab your balls, let's see what happens, which by the way, I don't think is a great idea, or just shut up and wrestle and put out a great product and let the audience rally behind you. And this is another point I want to make. And I'm sorry, you know, but I've, I've, I've spent the entire week, I'm driving, I'm reading this shit, I'm going, oh my God, people are nuts. It's really simple in my mind. And here's the difference. And here's another thing before I go, in, go into this. The other thing that pissed me off, pissed me off isn't the right way to say it. The other thing that lit my fuse and inspired me was a catalyst for my response was when Tony said, well, we're in a same, we're, we're at the you know, WCW 1996 level. We're at that stage. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not even close, dude. You're not even you're not even a distant number two to where we were in 1996. Because in 1996, in every measurable way that a human being can realistically measure something, not spin something, but measure something, WCW Nitro was defeating WWE in a real head-to-head competition, not a fragmented, yeah, but for half an hour when they were on Fox Sports 1, which hardly anybody watches really, um, and we're on TNT, you know, we got a high, you know, we, we did better in the demo than they did. Technically, true, Muskegee Mudhead, you know, reference, go back to it and listen if you didn't understand it the first time. Um, statistically true, but not really in context meaningful. I, 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 the thing that I think was a part of my reason for saying what I said, and part of it is because I actually do care about AEW. I care in the sense that I want the business to elevate. I want AEW to be literally competitive in a real sense to WWE. I would like to see them defeat WWE in a head-to-head competition. Not because I have anything against WWE, you know, Bruce Pritchard is one of my best friends. I love Bruce Pritchard. There is a lot of people in WWE that I'm very friendly with. And I have, and there are people there that I'm not friendly with because I don't converse with them, but I have a ton of respect for a ton. Kevin Dunn is a friend of mine. You know, never thought I'd hear myself say that, but I, I, I respect Kevin and have a, hold him in very high regard for what he's accomplished. But what Tony's doing and what the acolytes and sycophants and people looking for some kind of validation are doing by constantly denigrating WWE and creating this digital or excuse me, data narrative that somehow WWE is winning a non-existent war. And then when Tony echoes that, Tony's blowing a big opportunity. He really is. Because WWE came into 
existence at a point in time when the audience was craving an alternative. They had a clean slate. They didn't bring any negative baggage to the dance like WCW did when we launched Nitro. We had everybody telling us, telling me, especially the, you know, the, the Dave Meltzer's of the world, oh, this is never going to work. Bishop doesn't know what he's doing. He's got no experience. WCW is going to fail. It's going to be an embarrassment. It's going to cause, you know, Turner to pull the plug. All that shit was out there, right? Because nobody thought it could ever, ever happen. And, and, and on top of that, WCW had a very negative kind of association with the audience. It was a mismanaged disaster of a company that was number two at the time, but it was like they might as well have been number 152 to WWE. And AEW didn't have that issue. AEW came in with massive amount of public support and goodwill, right? WCW didn't have that. We had to fight up from out of the sewage to finally reach dry ground and then try to find the mountain and then climb the mountain. AEW didn't have to do that. All they had to do was say, we're coming out and we're doing this and hire a couple of key pieces of talent. And they're off and running and they had all of this goodwill. Well, what happens when you start putting yourself over, in my opinion, prematurely in the way they're doing it, just in the way they're doing it by constantly denigrating and comparing to WWE is you start losing that goodwill because people see through it. Just like baseball fans would who followed the Muskegee Mud Hens and would listen to the owner of that team compare a batter on, in AAA ball that's doing a 360 batting average to a player in, a, in the majors that's got a 180, right? Anybody that's paying attention to anything would know that that's kind of bullshit. But when AEW does that, they're going to start losing some of that goodwill. From, from a wrestling psychology point of view, AEW, from the minute they turn on the lights, was the baby face. The audience, want, even WWE fans, wanted AEW to win because they want that competition, because they've lived through it, and they know that great competition creates a higher tide and everybody's boat gets to float a little higher. And the product is more exciting. It's more interesting. There's more energy in the, in the category. But to, to do it prematurely and to do it in, in a way that is not totally honest because it's not in context, you're going to get a fair amount of fans. And I could point you to at least 7,000 of them that are going to go, hey, bullshit, that's bullshit. And, that, and, and in the process, you're going to lose that goodwill. You're going to have people picking you apart and they're going to start looking at you differently because they know what you're saying isn't totally true. In, 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 in the context of context, it's not even close to being true. And that's what makes me go, damn, Tony. And Tony said, well, we're just not going to make the, that's another part of Tony's comment. You know, we're at the 1996 you know, stage where WCW was, and we're just not going to make the same mistakes. And I said to you last week, Tony, you're inventing mistakes. And the mistake you're inventing is to take all of this goodwill that you just were the beneficiary of by virtue of the fact that you launched a new promotion on a major cable outlet and you're going to erode that goodwill over time with the incessant and not entirely honest in the sense of context comparison of your product to their product. That to me is not anger or jealousy or sensitivity or anything. That's just, man, I've, I've been through this shit. I know what happens and they're doing it. And again, 
when I reference, you know, my social media, let's be honest, people that listen to this podcast are fans of mine, I would say, in the most part, for the most part. People that follow me on social media are tend to be fans of mine. So they're going to respond favorably to a position that I'm going to take most of the time, not all the time. So I, I also realize that, you know, the information and the data that I'm getting from this gimmick um, doesn't necessarily represent the audience as a whole. I'm sure that Tony and everybody at AEW has also received a lot of, Eric doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He's jealous. You didn't give him a full-time gig, so he's bitter. All that kind of happy horseshit, which is exactly what it is. It's horseshit. But, man, don't lose that goodwill by trying to paint a picture that in reality is misleading because it's, there's, the context isn't there. That's another reason why I felt not obligated or, or anything. It's just, man, don't blow a good thing. You've got a great thing. Tony, I, I've said before, there are a lot of things that I like subjectively about the AEW product more than I like about the WWE product. And I've talked about those things and I still feel that way, but you're going to eventually erode the support that you came to the dance with by using the kind of creating the narrative that you've been creating, not just because of this last Friday night when there was a <clears throat> quote unquote head to head, I'll call it an overlap. Um, you're not by constantly beating in that drum, you're going to eventually erode your support because people are going to see through that shit. Dave Meltzer won't. Brian Alvarez won't, but the audience will. And the reaction that I got suggests that I'm at least partially right. Well, Eric, I want to let everybody know available now over at boxgimmicks.com. You too can own a Muskegee Mud Hens t shirt with 83 weeks. That's going to be a oh, thing. Oh, did, hey, did you see that? <laughs> Dave Meltzer came out. Yes, I was waiting for it. Conrad actually forwarded it to okay. Conrad's location. I haven't talked to Conrad in a couple of weeks over the phone. Yep. A couple of texts here and there, but Conrad <laughs> sent me the thing that they've said. <clears throat> like, you know, the only reason I did that, oh, now I'm going to get back to a Tony con comment in a minute, but, you know, he's conning people, you know, it was a con to sell a t-shirt. Paul, you and I did that podcast together. Did I, did you and I talk Nothing. at all before that? This told this helped me as a fan because I've always you know read Meltzer stuff, but now I'm kind of on the inside of the ad free shows deal, and the fact that Meltzer's spinning his narrative, Bischoff ha must have had the help of Conrad Thompson for this con, as they then put a Shut Up and Wrestle T-shirt on sale. Dave, shut the fuck up, buddy. We never <laughs> talked about any of this. It just came out of our group chat after the show was recorded. After the show, because we all got reaction. That's and right. And Russell's just sounds like a good, I wish I would have thought about it, you know, 20 years ago and owned the, tr the, the, the trademark. He is but, something else. You know, it, it, it just happened. It was spontaneous. But Dave, because Dave is such a, a jag off, he feels the need because he doesn't like me and that's okay. But he has to look at everything from his distorted point of view and he interprets things and then publishes things that are completely false. And you saw it right yeah. there. You were part of it. Yeah, know? I was right in the group chat, and I saw how the T-shirt the idea was born way after the show, later, a couple, several hours later. And then I see him put that out as his narrative, and I'm like, wow, this guy really just likes to create 
the, his own storyline and come up with things. And, that, and, and you're just getting a taste of it. Imagine having to have seen that shit for the last 25 or 30 years, as I have. You know, you just got a small sample of it. And oh. that sample, just based on what Dave said in that whatever it was, if he said it online. Or yeah, he, he said, said it on his newsletter. Yeah, it, that is a small example of the typical kind of shit that Dave Meltzer does that, in my opinion, you know, makes him less, way less than credible. You know, it's time to talk about our friend, Steven Singer. Now, not everybody knows this, but our old pal Steven started out as a jewelry and diamond wholesaler, where he was selling nationally to other jewelry stores. So why in the world would Steven open his own store? Well, Mr. Singer saw that other jewelers were focusing on the wrong things. You see, the jewelry business was about playing pricing games just to make a buck. Steven wanted to help people celebrate love with diamonds. He never wanted to be in the jewelry business. You heard right. Steven's in the love business. Steven Singer Jewelers is the love store. Okay. Not that type of love store. It's the place to buy real diamond jewelry for your real love. Steven has been in the love business for over four decades because he knew he could deliver better quality jewelry at a much better price and treat people like friends, not paychecks. So there's no gotchas. There's no sales. There's no hassle, just easy and fun. The smartest way to buy jewelry and diamonds for the moments that matter most real diamonds from a real jeweler you can trust. So call chat, text, zoom, or visit a showroom or check him out online at I hate Steven singer.com. Yeah, I'll defend Conrad all day long. He was no, nowhere near any of this stuff. And we had no idea that you were going to come out with your feelings on what you did. Before, peek behind the curtain, before you and I record, Eric, you don't tell me anything you're going to say. You're like, Paul, I want to say whatever I got to say. You just start the show and let me do my thing. And I say, sure. And you just, you came out with it. So, Dave. Yeah, in fact, in, when we were done, I went, shit, I didn't plan on doing that. But I did it. And I texted Conrad right away because obviously Conrad, and you know, the, the AEW's got a lot of people that come on the ad free shows. That's true. And our, our audience loves it. It's great for us. It's good for them. It's, it's, it's a very, very positive thing. But I got done with my podcast with you and I went, shit, I may have got a little hot on that one. So I texted Conrad after, cause I didn't know I was going to do it before. I said, Hey Conrad, I was pretty honest. And, and tried to be as gentle as possible, but you might want to take a listen to the first 20 minutes of this podcast. And if you want me to re-record it and lose any of that commentary, I'm happy to do that. So that's how little that I knew I was going to do it. You didn't know I was no going to do it. And Conrad didn't know I was going to do it. It was just spontaneous. It was a real authentic reaction to something that was kind of happening in real time. And Meltzer's at it again. Now you know this, the way you use the internet has changed dramatically over the last decade, but security tools have mostly mm, kind of stayed the same. Until now, Aura provides complete digital security to help protect your online accounts, finances, devices, and more, all in one easy to use app. Now, most credit cards do a good job protecting you against fraudulent purchases, but what if a scammer decides to file for unemployment in your name or if your social media accounts are hacked? Aura's protection goes well beyond your credit card. Here's a scary stat, man. For every 10 seconds, someone becomes a victim of fraud or identity theft. What's worse, 23% of those people don't get their money back after the attack. And if you think it could never happen to you, think again, because you could be their next target. But Aura's here to help. 
or provides digital security protection to keep your online finances, personal information, and tech safe from online threats. It's all-in-one protection from identity theft, financial fraud, malware, scam sites, and so much more. With Aura, you'll get alerted to fraud and threats fast, like if your online accounts or passwords have been leaked online or someone decides to open a bank account in your name, Aura is easy to set, set up. All plans come with $1 million in an identity theft insurance to help you recover your stolen funds and experience U.S.-based customer support team that's got your back. Aura is a new type of security device that protects all of your online information and devices with one simple subscription. With an easy online dashboard and alerts sent straight to your phone, Aura keeps you in control and guides you through solving any security issues. For a limited time, Aura is offering our listeners right here in 83 weeks up to 40% off plans when you visit Aura.com slash 83 weeks. Go to Aura.com slash 83 weeks for complete protection and savings up to 40%. That's Aura, A-U-R-A dot com slash 83 weeks. Well, let's get back to uh, Tony Khan because, by the way, he's going to reference uh, the motorcycle coming down from the rafters. So let's let's listen in. I we won because of our wrestlers and and the great people that work here, and especially the fans. And I know Friday night isn't always the easiest time to watch a wrestling show, especially at ten o'clock. But the fans have been turning out, and in different ways. There's a lot of ways to watch Rampage, whether you watch it at home on TV or on a tablet or at a bar on their TV or on your smartphone, which anybody, you know, uh, for the most part with a phone these days can get the TNT app. If you have cable or, uh, a a streaming platform that subscribes to TNT, you can watch it on your phone on the TNT app. So a lot of people tuned in Friday to watch a show. I'm very gratified by their support. I haven't said much about it since we won other than just thanking people for the support and, and some very brief uh, celebration as the numbers came in, which is really in in this world is really at the buzzer. You know, that's kind of the the post buzzer celebration. But uh, since the numbers came in Monday, I haven't said much because I think those numbers speak for themselves. I'm just really proud uh, that we won that head to head. You know, we didn't make the choice to go head to head for 30 minutes against the competition, uh, especially when they decided to do 30 minutes commercial free, and they lost. And I think it was great for us, but for Eric Bischoff, of all people, the guy who got lowered down on a motorcycle from the ceiling, the guy who challenged Vince McMahon to fight him, to say that somebody should be quiet, it's it's laughable. And Eric is doing an act, and I respect it, but uh, let's let's be serious. You know, Eric used to be a wrestling company executive, and now he is a commentator. And as a commentator, he's trying to stir up controversy, but... I think it would, it would be uh, pretty naive of anybody to look at this and not examine that the person talking is Eric Bischoff, who is the most outspoken wrestling executive of all time, and somebody who got a lot of heat, but somebody who also just, look, if we're going to be honest, like the things I'm trying to do in terms of balancing these great stars we have, like the CM Punk and Chris Jericho and Brian Danielson and people who've come in with years of experience and they've they've got lots of uh, time on television as a big TV wrestling star. And then we have the people that have emerged here 
and become TV wrestling stars in AEW, like Kenny Omega and Hangman Page and the Young Bucks. And you also have uh, a whole crew of people that are the young stars. A lot of them are becoming young established stars on TV too. And whether it's MJF, Britt Baker, Sammy Guevara, Jungle Boy, and so many others, Darby Allen in particular, uh, these are stars that I'm committed to, to keeping an AEW and not losing and building around. And, you know, when Eric says focus on the wrestling, I am focused on the wrestling and pushing these people and not running them out of the company like Chris Jericho uh, couldn't get out of WCW fast enough. And Eddie Guerrero uh, was put in his place. And the wrestlers were told by their boss that there's only three guys in the company. Uh, that when Eric said that Hogan, Savage, and Piper were the only three guys that had ever drawn money, of course, a slap in the face to a few other people in the room. But also, what does that uh, say for the morale of the young wrestlers who are uh, busting their asses every week? It just doesn't make sense. So uh, I am happy uh, and grateful to not go off like that every week and really only when there's a call for it when there's, you know, competition brought to our doorstep and we have to respond. But, uh, let's hit the brakes here for a second. So let's go back to who really won. Have you ever read the book art of war by Sun Tzu? I have not. All right. It's a fascinating book. It's a fascinating book. I, I encourage anybody in any walk of life to read that book because there's so much application to real world regardless of what you do for a living. Rampage came out. How many weeks ago? Do you remember? I'm asking you things I should probably know doing this podcast, but how how long has Rampage been been on the air? Month? Six weeks? Yeah, about six to eight weeks at this point. Okay. I can't remember what the premier ratings were for Rampage. But let's go to let's go to CM Punk's debut. Mm. What did that show do? I think it was like 1.3 or 1.4 million viewers. Yeah, it was uh yeah, 1.2, 1.3 million for the rampage. Okay. Yeah. Since that time. Now I'm 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 pointing this out because I'm, it's going to lead me into another illustration of the absurd from one of the highest profile talents on the AEW roster, which is CM Punk. Great anticipation for CM Punk, right? I put it over. I was excited about it. And I've never met CM Punk. I've never had a conversation with Punk. But I'm looking, you know, I'm well aware of, of the equity and the value in that character. And the way it was teased and the anticipation that was created, I, I was so excited about that. Because it's the first time in a long time that I've seen a real orchestrated, controlled build that really created the anticipation that I think is such a big part of what makes wrestling work. And Punk debuted, and they had whatever the ratings were, they were. Very high, probably the high, you know, well, clearly the highest that Rampage had ever experienced because it's a relatively new show. Since that time... They're right back down to five or 600,000 viewers. Now, Tony says, well, they decided they were going to go head to head with us. And, you know, we're, I was going to you know, put Punk and Seidel. And this is not negative towards either Punk or Seidel. But what did it do? Not much. But 
arguably. But what did happen, and this is the Sun Tzu art of war part of this, is WWE forced by do doing that overlap into AEW's time slot, forced a situation where now CM Punk's opening up the show. CM Punk. And they end up doing, what was their total viewership? I don't know, because I responded to the Fast Nationals, which were somewhere around 580,000 or something, whenever it was. I don't know what the final number ended up being. Um, I was on the road driving to Minnesota. But let's say it went up to 600,000 viewers. WWE made a move that was the catalyst for Tony Khan to take his highest profile, hottest piece of talent, arguably, and put him in that time slot, and the show did less than a million viewers. How is that a fucking win? Burning up talent, putting someone into a match with no storyline, no angle. It was, you know, it, it was indelicious, no doubt about it. It was definitely an indelicious move. But you're burning up resources, and you walked away with less than a million viewers? probably less than 800,000 viewers. And by the way, Paul, do you know who actually won the night in terms of total viewership? It was, it was WWE. All right. That's the real number. Now you can dive into the data gymnastics and talk about the, the, the key demo, which is an important demo. I'm not suggesting that it's not, it's not the only important demo, by the way, it's the most important demo, but not the only demo to suggest that you're only selling to advertisers who only buy 18 to 49 is again, somewhat misleading. WWE delivered more viewers, which affects everything, mm -hmm. pay-per-views, merchandise, ticket sales, all the other metrics that you want to identify, WWE delivered more total viewers than a, on a third or fourth tier cable outlet than AEW did with one of their high, highest profile pieces of new fresh talent, and WWE outperformed them. Now, if you if you don't want to acknowledge that, and you want to shift everybody's on the internet social media, shift that focus over to a key demo for a 30 minute period of time. Hurrah for you. It's not real. Not, not when it comes to context. But my point in this comparison, this, this diatribe is that Vince caused you to make a big move that in my opinion was less than flattering. Punk hasn't delivered. Punk is the guy that came out and, and his first comments, man, were, you know, the addition of this talent, you know, is more significant than Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. It's just they're constantly making references to WCW because they want to be WCW. They want to be the company that WCW was back in the mid 90s. Right. So there's these constant references to WCW. And Punk came out and said that, you know, bringing in, you know, the top talent, you know, the, the himself and Brian Danielson, who I have nothing but tons of respect for and all that was more significant than Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Well, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash came in and we took off. Punk, you came in and shipped the bet in terms of ratings. It ain't there. And there's nothing in reality to suggest otherwise. So you just need to be careful about what you say until you're delivering. And that comment, you know, that Punk made about, you know, these guys being more significant than Scott Hall and Kevin Nash back in 96 and you know, this is more important. And then, at, you know, two weeks after 
you know, Punk made his big arrival, the ratings dropped by 50% or 40%, whatever it was. And then Punk came on. This is what put, again, this is what lit my fuse. I wasn't going to comment on any of this until Punk came out and said, well, it's going to take five years for the effect <laughs> of this talent to really, you know, show up significantly in the ratings. Are you fucking kidding me? Does anybody other than an uninformed wrestling fan who just loves CM Punk, is anybody going to believe that nonsense? It's going to take five years? Dude, you're going to be getting AARP mail. Because it happens, man. As soon as you get close to 50, they start pounding you with this shit, right? You're going you're gonna to be on the AARP mailing list by that time. And to suggest that, well, you know, to, to go from, oh, this is way more significant, it's more important, which is arguable. Uh, and I let that one go. Conrad said, no, here's the context. Here's what I think Punk was trying to say. And I went, okay, I'll let that go. But then to come out a couple of weeks later after, in my opinion, he should be embarrassed. Um, and for the ratings to take the dive that they did after his debut suggests to me that he ain't as hot as everybody's trying to make make people think he is. Yeah. If he was, the numbers would be much bigger. Here's a pro tip for you. If you're looking for a truly meaningful gift, look no further than painterlife.com. You get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. You choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. Their user-friendly platform lets you order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. It's a quick and easy process, and you get your hand-painted portrait in just about three weeks. And here's how it works. You send them any picture, and hey, it can even be a picture off your phone of yourself, your children, your family, a special place, a cherished pet. Hell, you can even combine photos into one painting. Uh, so maybe you want to put you know, grandma in front of the house that she never got to go in, or you want to let grandpa meet his grandson. He never got the chance to paintyourlife.com can combine these photos and create something really, really special. It's going to make for a perfect birthday gift, an anniversary gift, a wedding gift, or maybe best yet, just because it is a meaningful, personal and cherished gift forever and ever. Like if you had to go quiz your dad, Hey dad, what did I get you last year for Christmas? He probably forgot. You probably got him some silly socks or maybe you got him a tie or maybe you got mom a gift card for mother's day. They will never forget that you gave them this. I mean it. Check this out too. At paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, you'll get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word Eric to 64,000. That's E-R-I-C, Eric, to 64,000. Text Eric to 64,000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com forward slash terms. One more time. Text Eric to 64,000. I, I think it's important too to just, they're two years old when it comes to being on TNT television. And you have, you're talking about WWE, a global brand, uh, that has been again, internationally, the structure, who they are is well-known worldwide. They've been on USA network forever since most of our friends on ad free shows have been alive. They've been on Monday night raw. 
So, you know, when you're talking about going head to head as a two year old company, sure, lots of name recognition and talent. You're on TNT. You're going up against a company that has established itself as this global brand for 50 plus years or what have you. And they have the infrastructure and uh, they have the ability to get inside so many people's homes. If you were to say WWE names to most people walking around the country, they're going to know who they are. Hogan, you know, Stone Cold, things of that nature. AEW's just got two years in, so they do need some time. To your point, yes, Punk in five years will you know, probably not be around. But uh, the fact that I think that they're still doing what they are doing, just like you said, focus on the wrestling and let it build and build your stars. But uh, I'm, I'm just glad we're able to have these conversations, Eric, and that we actually have some competition again in wrestling. I agree. I, I, I And I've said that from day one. I said that when AEW debuted, I was working for WWE and I sat in the writer's room of WWE and watched the premiere episode. And I was thrilled to death. And I shared that. I, I communicated to everybody in the room. This is good for us at the time I was with WWE. This is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. This is a great thing. Fans win. Everybody wins. And it changes the dynamic creative dynamic we're seeing it now you know and we're going to see more of it you know another tweet that i made shortly after the arthur ash uh, episode the arthur ash episode the episode <laughs> yeah. that place in in arthur ash stadium was you know now now we've got this is real this is this is going to make shit really start to change i really believe that then and i believe it could happen now i just believe it'll happen faster and more effectively if you lay off the cosplay competition, yes, yes, Jericho, Chris, I love you. I really do. You're a cool dude, and I love being around you. And I love working with you, and I love hearing your the way you think. But when I said cosplay competition, what I'm referencing is, have you ever been to a Comic Con? I have. I have. You know how you see people, they get dressed up, you know, like yes. Star Wars is their thing, right? They're Star Wars fans. And they spend a fortune and a lot of time and put a lot of effort into dressing up like their favorite character. And if some of these, like, the, you know, New York City Comic Con and some of the bigger ones, San Diego Comic Con, you see these people up and they become legitimate attractions, right? People are asking for their autographs. They want the picture taken with them. And some of those people actually get to the point, I think, where they actually believe they were a part of the original cast. Yeah. Like some of these people you know, dressed up like Spock actually thinks he's Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, they, they were <laughs> on the planets. They, they were in Thundera. Yeah. Dude, in, until you're actually head-to-head, -head, until you're actually competing same night each and every week, relatively low level uh, playing field in terms of uh, cable platforms, TNT and, and USA is about as close as you're going to get to an identical type of platform. Mm. Until you're actually competing there, don't go around telling everybody that you were on the Starship Enterprise. Gotcha. You're dressing up like you were. You look like you were. And people want your autograph and your picture taken. But you weren't really a part of the cast. I, I love Chris Jericho, though. He definitely throws some questions out at you and says, uh, you know, he said, listen, to the point we forced themselves into real head-to-head -head competition with us most recently. Last Not real head-to-head, -head, but yeah, kind of, well, sort of. But I love at the end, he goes, I'm just going to go ahead and shut the fuck up now and keep wrestling. <laughs> so, and like, and I, I love it. You know, Conrad saw because I didn't, you know, again, I haven't been following social media much because I've been traveling. But Conrad sent that to me, and he goes, win. <laughs> and... And look, again, I can't say enough great things about Chris, and I have yeah. consistently over the years. But and I understand why he took 
you know, offense to that, I guess. He, he bleeds but AEW now. It's his passion. He, so. he does. And he should, by the way. Yeah. He should. And, and, as well as everybody else who gets a check from there. But the fact that he said, I'm just going to shut the fuck up and wrestle made me thought, okay, we're going to sell some more t-shirts off that. <laughs> <laughs> now, now Chris is making it okay. Chris yeah. is actually agreeing. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, Eric, listen, that was pretty much the end of uh, Tony's part of what he said there. And uh, I want to get into the questions from our faithful followers social on social media and ad-free shows. Are you good to spend the next few minutes answering some questions on this Ask Eric? Absolutely, Ben. All right, let's do it. Let's start with uh, Brent Midland. And he said, can you give your honest, as I know you pull no punches, thoughts on AEW moving the proverbial goalpost to claim a ratings victory last Friday night? This whole era of fans giving more of a shit about viewership and not the product itself has really soured me recently. Hmm. Well, there you go. I mean, I think I've covered it. No reason to cover it again here. But that's an example of the kind of death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. You know, what happens when you start playing games with data and twisting yourself into a pretzel, trying to create a narrative isn't really contextually honest. That's exactly what happens. You're going to alienate the fans. Uh, Phil White is up next, and I'm going to move quick since we have so many. Having spent some time in Cody at the Celebrities Against Cancer softball game this past summer, we completely fell in love with the area on our visit. God forbid you ever leave Cody. What would you miss about it if you did? It was a pleasure hanging out with you at the game. Um, I'll never leave Cody. <laughs> I mean, temporarily, you know, um, my life is kind of exciting right now. And there's some things going on that, you know, I'm, 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 I can't talk about it quite yet. And it's not anything to do with business. It's just a personal family situation. And I'm not at liberty yet to discuss it. But um, I may be moving down south you know, for four or five or six months out of the year uh, during the winter and then coming back to Cody, you know, for five or six months, whatever it is. But I'll always have a home in Cody. I doubt there'll be any time during the summer and fall, spring, summer and fall when I'm not in Cody. I love that. I love Cody. I wouldn't trade my life there for anything. Um, so I'll always be there. What would I miss most, most about it? Honestly, this is you know, this will give you some insight into what my life is like. I get to get up every morning and have a cup of coffee. I get up in the dark because I love to watch the sunrise. I'm usually up by 4.35, depending on the time of year, sometimes a little bit later because the sun comes up later. But I love getting up while it's still dark out. It's quiet. There's nothing going on, nothing moving. And I sit outside with my dog with a thermos of coffee and I watch the sunrise. And as the sun comes up, you know, I'm surrounded by mountains and beautiful scenery, and it is the most peaceful, happiest time of my day. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. There's no amount of money that would get me to trade that. Um, that's what I would miss. It's just the environment I live in. All right. Lopez is up next. He said, what is your most prized non-wrestling accomplishment or honor that you've received in the field of broadcasting? I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> what about anything in general outside of wrestling and what's got, your favorite accomplishment i i got nothing man nothing. my favorite accomplishment was um raising two amazing kids there you go that's a hard one by the way yeah. you know i'm very you know Christ, at the time i didn't realize it you know how because as a new parent you don't really it's all new everything is new right 
But early on, um, Lori and I made a decision. And the decision was made that I, you know, I'd go hustle and make whatever money I could make. And she would stay home with the kids. And we would put our kids as the number one priority, not our income, not our status, not the car we drove, not the country club we belong to. Not that I've ever belonged to a country club. I would fucking never do that. But that making that decision and being able to raise our kids the way we felt that we wanted to raise our kids and then seeing the end result. I'm so proud of both of our kids. They're good. First and foremost, they're wonderful human beings that treat people the way I think all of us want each other to treat others. Um, they're really, really great kids. That's my proudest accomplishment. Mm. All right. Charlie Thrower is up next. He said, from someone who was there, Mr. Bischoff, in your opinion, what is the biggest misconception of why WCW failed? I think Tony Khan, you know, probably did a better job of our, of, of, of framing that misconception. Than, and again, again, Tony gets a lot of his information from Dave Meltzer. A lot of Tony's perspective is a Dave Meltzer perspective. You know, the fact that Tony, going back to one of the earlier, the latter part of his interview, and said, look, I get it. Eric is, used to be a, a wrestling executive. Now he's a commentator. And, and it's, his, it's his gig, it's his shtick, right? It's an act. He's just trying to create. That's a Dave. I've heard that before out of Dave Meltzer. You know, Dave Meltzer suggests, oh, Eric doesn't really feel the way he feels about me, and neither does Bruce Pritchard. It's all just an act. No, Dave, it's not. It ain't an act, brother. And, Tony, I would suggest to you, you know, read the book. Read Guy Evans' book. And then look at some of the things that, you know, Dave has said that you have a tendency to want to repeat because that's your frame of reference. Because you certainly weren't at Turner Broadcasting at the time. You know nothing about what was going on behind the scenes, just like Dave doesn't, by the way, or didn't. But to come out and say, you know, the only reason Eric's saying this stuff is because, you know, he used to be an executive and he's not anymore. And now he's a commentator and he's trying to create controversy. That's not it, brother. It is not it. But that that kind of narrative, you know, WCW failed because Eric spent so much money on talent. You know, one of the things that Dave hasn't done is talk about the amount of money that some of the people at AEW are making. Now, I know what some of those people are making. I know. I'm not going to repeat it because it's not my business. And I don't want to say things or do things that intentionally, and I think by exposing what some of the people in AEW are making would probably be problematic. And I don't want to be problematic. But and then at the same time, to take part in the narrative that said, oh, well, the reason Eric, Eric spent 10 turn wasn't Eric's money. It was Ted Turner's money. And he was just throwing away ATM Eric and all that shit. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. Mm. All right. Our friend Rajiv has a question. He said, having done both wrestling and most real mostly reality television, what are the main differences in the executives' expectations of what a wrestling show can do versus what a reality television show can do? You know, I never had a conversation with a television executive where we kind of talked about expectations from wrestling compared to reality. They're similar in terms of the type of people that they attract, I think. Now, when I was producing reality, reality shows have changed a lot over the last five or seven years. Um, but back when, you know, Jason Hervey and I were producing a lot of reality shows for every major, almost every major cable outlet and a couple uh, terrestrial networks, um, it had a lot of similarities. It's conflict. It's drama. 
you know, people like to see a little bit of physicality, you know, that fell within the safety harbor of, you know, cable television guidelines at the time. So the, the psychology behind, I think, why people watch reality back when I was producing it and why people watch wrestling. Now, I'm not talking about hardcore wrestling fans necessarily, but the general, the mainstream, the outside of the nucleus um, of the core audience, many of the same elements were there. But at the time that we were producing wrestling, or excuse me, reality, if you had a show that did a reality show, depending on the cable outlet, of course, that did 1.5, 1.7, 1.8 million viewers, that was considered pretty much of a home run, mm. maybe a triple, okay. right? And and those those kinds of numbers would get you a season two and a season three if things held up. Mm. Whereas wrestling, because it's been around longer, it's, it's its own unique genre. It's not comedy, but it kind of is sometimes. It's, it's not drama, but it kind of is, right? Um, it's not sports, but it kind of is. You know, it, it, it's kind of like everything, right? And it's been around for a long time. So wrestling will always draw, in my opinion, consistently, you know, all things being equal now. Yes. It's important to reference that all things being equal. You know, I think wrestling will almost always outperform non-scripted or reality television. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Say it with us, Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets can help men achieve harder and stronger erections to combat all forms of ED. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Now the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. Now the best part, it's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? Well, that's no problem here. Blue Chew Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are also made in the USA. They prepare and ship direct, so it's also cheaper than a pharmacy trip. And if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code 83weeks at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is 83 weeks to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. All right. Coach Rosie is up next. He said, I really like the way the lighting was done during the Nitro era. Big fan of lighting. After reading the Nitro book, I learned about Jeff Bornstein. What can the mm -hmm. wrestling industry learn from Mr. Bornstein's lighting techniques? Well, I don't know that anybody's going to learn anything from, from the way Jeff lights shows, but I, I think one of the things that I enjoy more about AEW than I do about WWE is the fact that, to me at least, this is a subjective opinion. It's just my opinion. To me, though, I feel when I'm watching AEW like I'm actually in the venue. It feels more real to me. It's the only way I can say it. 
it just feels more authentic in terms of being a live event. And I feel like I've got a seat in the venue. WWE, because, and again, Kevin Dunn, I, nothing, I, I can't even express how much I respect Kevin Dunn. But their decision is to, in my opinion, overproduce the show in such a way that when I watch it, I feel like I'm in a movie theater watching something on the big screen. It's so freaking perfect in every way that I no longer feel like I'm in the venue. And that disconnects me to the product. Whereas when I actually feel like I'm in the venue, and this is subliminal, right? This is subconscious shit. But when I'm watching AEW, because of the way it's lit, because of the way it's shot, not just the lighting, because of the way it's lit, because of the way it's shot, I actually feel like I'm there. And I think from an average viewer's perspective, they may not realize why they like it more, but they like it more because they feel like they're there. They're at, they feel like that they're at, they feel like they are at the party that they are watching as opposed to feeling like they're watching a party that they weren't a part of. If that makes sense. It, it does. As a wrestling fan, I love the Disney on ice stuff. If we're going to get that big stuff at a WrestleMania or something, but now all of a sudden you're giving it to me every week, every show. And it just feels, it just doesn't feel, it feels overproduced to your point with the WWE. So I get it. Mark LaBelle is up next Eric. And he says, you mentioned before that you wrote Scott Hall's debut promo. Are there any others that you came up with? I typically didn't write promos. You know, I, I, I would kind of frame them for myself, thinking through them so that I could, cause I'm a visual person. I have to see something at least outlined bullet pointed to make sure that it's structured the way I want it to be structured and pays off the way I want it to pay off. But typically I would jot things down. I would outline a promo for my own purposes so that I had it in my head and then I would communicate it to the talent. Probably 75% of Hogan's promos, not all of them, but a good portion of them were promos that I would sit down with Hulk and we would kind of go back and forth. And I, I did what Mean Gene used to do. I'd work through the promo and just make sure that we were on the same page so that if for whatever reason, and not just Hulk, but a lot of talent, a lot of talent, you get up there and you all go, you go, especially in a live show, you go up and you're in the ring and you have a real clear idea of what you're going to do and why you're going to do it and how it's going to end. And then you get up there in front of the crowd and shit happens and talent would sometimes get off track. My job was to kind of get them back on the rails and pay it off the way we were supposed to, but do it in a way that the audience didn't go, why, why is Eric just shift gears like that? So you got to be a little nimble yeah. and creative, you know, in the moment. But I typically didn't write promos, but I did, you know, I directed a lot of them. You know, I worked with Sting a little bit, not as much as with Hogan. Um, I, I, you know, certainly a lot with DDP, and at least in the beginning, um, to try to help him get real and authentic with his character. And then once he, once he picked up on it, he was off and running. But um, I can't think of anybody else that I, you know, sat down and wrote promos for. Okay. The Rosen Coaster is up next, and he says, before the sale of WCW to WWF, was there ever discussions for the new WCW under your leadership to incorporate a revamped developmental system for talent that differed from the power plant formula? Very good question. And the answer is yes. Um, we recognize when Brian Badal, who was then Fusion Media, 
when we sat down, Steve Greenberg, his partner, we talked about, okay, how do we move forward? What's, what's five years from now look like? And how do we get there? And we were going to build a training facility in Las Vegas. Mm. Actually, we were going to build the building. You know, we were looking at property, not too far from the Palms, by the way, hotel. Mm. We were, we were actively looking for property where we could build our own building and our own training facility. Um, but it would be, you know, the power plant was learning how to do drop kicks, headlocks, you know, psychology, you know, in ring stuff. There was not no emphasis on teaching people how to do interviews and develop their characters and things like that. It was very loosely organized and that's being kind in that regard. Um, and we recognized that if we wanted to create a system whereby we could take talent that had no experience at all and teach them what they needed to learn, not only in the ring, but also, you know, in terms of how to carry themselves, how to produce, you know, how to, how to do a, a promo, you know, how to carry dialogue, um, as well as reacting into, in, in front of a live crowd. We were contemplating a facility that would allow us to bring in 150 or 200 people so that once a week or so, our talent could actually work in front of a crowd and get a feel for that, for those people that never had that experience, because this was before independence, you know, were really out there to any meaningful extent. So yeah, there was a lot of discussion and planning, but obviously nothing ever yeah. came to fruition. Ah, very cool. Uh, Baratson Dyerson's up next and he said, uh, did you often hold the mic up for Hulk Hogan during the NWO promos because he spoke so much with his hands and needed both to be free and kudos to your acting skills for the way you display expressions for everything Hogan says, even at times when he's just rambling. Yeah, no, here's a, here's a, that's a good little pickup, Barat. <laughs> and by the way, I'm, I'm trying to become a cricket fan. So there you go. And he knows what I'm talking yep. about. Um, <clears throat> no, but one of the things that Hulk used to do, cause he was so tall is he would tend to lean into the mic. And a lot of people do this, by the way, it's not unique to Hulk. So that as you know, if you're, if you're the stick man, as I was, and I'm holding the microphone so that it works for me and I just push it over to Hulk, well, what's Hulk going to do? He's going to lean down and get into the mic. And that kind of mitigates the larger than life persona that you're trying to create. So I would constantly hold the mic up. And sometimes as he was leaning into his promo, because he would just get into it, right? I'd have to kind of almost shove it up into his face to remind him to stand up straight because you want to present. You want your head up nice and high. You want the audience to see you. And particularly when you know, you're standing next to, and I'm only five, ten and a half, five, five eleven, whatever I am. I think I'm shrinking in my old age. Maybe I'm only five nine. I don't know it. I don't know. But Hulk would tend to kind of lean down into the mic and I would constantly kind of put it up into his face to keep him up nice and tall because standing next to me made him look even bigger. Yeah. All right. Uh, Bryant Haremza is up next. He said, do you feel wrestlers being labeled as something is a bad thing for the performers? Example, Nick Gage. He's a hardcore wrestler. Guys like that or being as a mid-card guy or being labeled as a good hand. Uh, so how do you feel about that being, having that label on someone? Do you think that's a, that's a, a bad thing for performers? Depends on the label, you know, Fred Armstrong was a good hand, made a lot of money in the process over a long period of time. He didn't come in and come out. No, he didn't make the big money. He didn't make main event money, but 
If he were alive today, he'd be working anywhere he wanted to work, right? There, there's a lot of value, you know, mid-card guy. What does that really mean? Uh, I don't know, but as much as I hate to say this, let's talk about Dolph Ziggler and WWE. I don't know why he is not at a much higher level. I think he's an amazingly talented performer. He's charismatic. He's fast on his feet. He can be comedic. He can be aggressive, believable, credible heel or babyface. Uh, but for whatever reason, you know, he's in that upper third of the card, you know, and he's been there for a long freaking time and has got a massive bank account as a result. I don't know. Label me that if you want. As long as I get to do it and, and be a good hand and make millions and millions and millions of dollars over an extended period of time, I'll take it. So it depends on the label. You know, I think the one risk that talent takes when they pigeonhole themselves into a category like a hardcore wrestler, that's if that's your gimmick, it's going to be challenging to break out of that gimmick and take on another role that over time may present itself or that hardcore thing has a certain, it has a lifespan, you know, a little bit of it goes a long way. Too much of it has an adverse impact on the audience and the industry. So you got to just got to be a little bit careful with that. It, it's, it's a little riskier, I think in the hardcore category than it is being labeled a good hand or a mid Carter. So labels don't matter, uh, Bryant. Bank accounts do. All right, Aaron is up next. Did Eric ever turn down any creative in WWE that he was uncomfortable with? The only time I spoke up about creative um, was not too long after I first got there. And um, I was in Santa Monica at the time. I, I kept a home in Santa Monica. It's so my business. A lot of my business was there, and I had a home in Phoenix. So I was in Santa Monica. And I got emailed a promo or a scene because it wasn't just me on a mic. It was a scene uh, in, in the ring. And that scene would have resulted at the end of it all was this is back when Vince had the kiss my ass club. Mm. And it built up and led to Vince making me kiss his ass in the middle of the ring, like so many others had done before me. And I read that. I went, that makes no sense. I mean, I get it in the moment. I get it for that episode and that scene. Yeah, that's a good scene. But in kind of a larger, broader context, it makes absolutely no sense. There was no heat. There was no angle. There was no buildup. There was no nothing. It was just a spontaneous moment that it would have gotten a cheap pop. And it would have absolutely killed anything. Not killed, but it would have cast a really, really dense fog over anything else that I was going to do in the future. It would eliminate any potential storylines, many potential storylines going forward. So I, I got that, I got that email on a Saturday. I was supposed to leave on Sunday to fly to, to Monday Night Raw on Sunday. Um, and before I left, I gave a call and said, look, I'll do whatever you guys want to do. You're paying me to perform. You're not paying me to, you know, critique your creative. And I firmly believe that if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. But here's why I don't think it makes any sense right now, maybe down the road, but right now, this makes no sense. Yeah. And I left it at that. Didn't hear another word, got to TV on Monday and it was gone. Mm. Not another word was said about it. All right. It's scary. And you know what's spooky? 
than seeing a black cat on Halloween. It's shaving your balls with anything other than Manscaped. When it comes to below-the-waist grooming, there's no need to carve your pumpkins this Halloween because Manscaped is here to upgrade your grooming experience. Go from a bite-sized candy bar to a king-sized candy bar and join the 2 million men worldwide by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code 83 weeks. Now, here's the scene. Can you imagine this? You've been working hard all day. You've got a big night planned. So you rush home from work. You jump into the shower. You want to be ready, right? You get it, but you're in a hurry. So you reach for that razor and you start trimming up, cleaning up, and you look down and go, oh my goodness, i got to take care of that. And you start shaving away. And about a minute and a half later, you look down and it looks like a scene from a Freddy Krueger movie. You don't need to do that, man. Come on, luckily Manscaped is here to help save the day and make sure you're smelling fresh with the new refined body wash. Fellas, come on, you know, man. Ladies love their signature scent and it will scare away those vampires. Unlock your confidence with a performance package 4.0. Inside, you're gonna find the holy grail of men's grooming items. They've made it easier for you to upgrade your grooming routine. It's a full moon out there, and the werewolf in your pants is howling. It's time to take that problem on with the Lawnmower 4.0. The finely tuned pube products featuring a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. No more Freddy Krueger scenes in your shower. Thanks to the advanced skin-safe technology, the Lawnmower 4.0 is easily the greatest ball trimmer on the planet. Oh, did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? This trimmer is an essential shower tool. The Performance 4.0 package also includes the Weed Whacker. This is a total game changer to your men's hygiene arsenal. The Weed Whacker is a nose and ear hair trimmer that provides proprietary skin-safe technology that helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. So seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid form- formulations, the Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Come on, you want to make sure your pumpkins are fresh this Halloween. Trust me, fellas, when I say this, your balls will thank you. And if you're looking like the Wolverine and you haven't cut your nails recently, be sure to look into the Shears 2.0 Nail Kit. They have a bunch of other life-changing items on their website, so to be sure to check it out. Get 20% off shipping with the code 83weeks at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping. You get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 83 weeks at manscaped.com. Say trick or treat to your beautiful new Halloweeny with Manscaped. Eros is up next and he says in the Nitro book, it talked about Russo doing an interview for WCW.com. Uh, and it talked and the interview was about the both of you starting your collaboration together. Did you know about this at the time? And in hindsight, it reads a bit like Russo sowing seeds that if things didn't work out, it wasn't down to him. It wasn't on him kind of thing. Do you remember this at all? No, I don't. All right. We'll keep it moving. Then Ben is up next. He said, we all know about the issues you had with Ric Flair in 1998, but I was always curious as to what your relationship was, if any, to Rick during your days as a third string announcer. Very little because when I got into WCW, whatever year it was, I can't even remember anymore, man. Prevagen, please. Prevagen. This is me. Can you get my, get my Prevagen? I don't. What was it? Ninety one or ninety two? It, it, it was 90. in the early night. Yep, ninety one, ninety two time frame. 
the one of the first television tapings that I went to, it was in Anderson, South Carolina. 1991. And Ric Flair was warming up backstage. He he was he was performing that night. I think he left like the very next week or shortly thereafter. I never saw Rick again. So I came up and I introduced myself while he was stretching. He was working, you know, loosening up before his match. Very cordial, very polite. He didn't know who I was. Rick Flair didn't have an idea who I was, right? But what's just cool, I, I wouldn't expect him to, right? I was an AWA Minnesota dude. Um, but very, very cordial, very polite. And I think a week or two later, he was gone. So it wasn't until Rick came back, whatever year that was, Prevagen, whatever year that was, I don't remember. And then, you know, I met Rick more formally. And because I think at that time I might have been the executive producer of the show. So I didn't have anything to do with talent or talent relations or booking or creative. But I was, I guess, uh, management and that's when Rick and I first started having conversations. We get along great. Okay. Friend of the show, Adam Bernard. Here she comes with more coffee from Foundation Radio asks. I is love there, it. Is there, is there Prevagen in there? Did you spike it? I spiked it she, for you. She is fantastic. Oh, what a fantastic wife. Friend of the show, Adam Bernard from Foundation Radio asks, any favorite spots in Philly when you're in town? Is there a go-to spot for you, Eric? No. <laughs> Short and sweet, nothing on Philadelphia. Well, there, there, there is one. The airport. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. He's got nothing for you, so I tried. Francis Reyes is up next. What's the best Christmas birthday present you've ever been given or given away? Received or given Christmas present? I don't know, man. I'm not big on gift-giving. I mean, I love Christmas. I, I do. It's a meaningful holiday for me and my family. But we've never, aside from when the kids were really little, you know, and you, you want your kids to be happy. Sure. And, and all kinds of stuff. I don't think Mrs. B and I have exchanged Christmas presents in decades. It's been a long time. Anything that you ever got maybe outside of Christmas, Eric, that actually made you feel a little emotional, maybe a little teary-eyed? Or are you not just really. too jaded? You're just you're just jaded. No, I'm not jaded at all. <laughs> here's, here's what I think it is. I appreciate little things as much as I appreciate really big things. Mm. Sometimes, I mean, no, I don't, I don't. Nothing. No. Okay. Elite, hey, you're being honest, and that's all we're asking for. So, Francis, he can't think of anything. Fun, fun question, but there's there's really nothing there. Josh McCarty is up next. He said, one thing that made the NWO angle feel real was even the heel announcer, announcers were against them. In the past, Eric said he didn't want to overproduce his commentators. Was this a directive from Eric and creative, or were Heenan and Larry just aware enough to do it naturally? A, a little bit of both. Okay. I'm, I made clear that I wanted the invasion storyline to, in NWO being that, to feel authentic and real. I wanted it to be, I wanted the audience to feel like it was NWO versus WCW. And I even wanted the heels to take a WCW position to make it feel more authentic. So, um, but beyond kind of framing it in a broad sense, I didn't 
produce the talent on a, on a micro level, on a macro level. Yeah. But not on a micro level. Okay. Alexander, the legend has a question. He said, if you could book AEW, would Kenny Omega be your world champion? If not, who would it be? Possibly if I could create a great story, a great story. Here's, you know, and again, this I almost got, I thought I was going to get off of this. You can have all the great talent in the world and you can set up great matches for the sake of great matches. But if there aren't stories associated to those great matches, matches, you're just burning up resources and you're not going to get the maximum amount of benefit from those matchups as possible. Kenny Omega is an amazing talent, amazing talent, but he's going to need at least a decent storyline to reach his potential. And that applies to everybody else. Are just having people yeah. in great matches. It's great once in a while. Don't get me wrong. A spectacle is a wonderful thing occasionally, but you need great story for great talent to emerge. You, you mentioned amazing talent. Maybe who were the two or three guys that you thought, think, man, if I could, if fantasy booking, pick up the pen and have the ability to write a script or story or, you know, book something, it would be awfully fun to do it for these two or three. I don't know about two or three, but it would be a highlight of my career to sit down with MJF and construct an arc. Not just a story, but an arc for his character mm. over a two or three year period of time, as well as the stories that would have to be involved in that. I think MJF, and this is not anything against anybody else. I'm not like picking one over the sure. other, but there's something about his character and his talent, not his character, his talent and his character, but mostly his talent that just makes me just ooh. Talk about copious amounts of healthy envy that I have copious amount of, amounts of healthy envy for whoever has the opportunity to work with him. Cause I think he's, he's magic in a can brother. There you go. All right. Brendan crab is up next. He said, when you were looking to purchase WCW circa 2001, was there any valuation provided as to the approximate worth of the tape library as badly as Vince and uh, co botched the invasion storyline, that footage alone would have repaid the company's purchase price many times over. Only if you had a crystal ball and we didn't again, go back to 2001, there was no streaming. You know, the closest thing that we could have done or anticipated at the time of, of the acquisition or the attempted acquisition would be to come up with a way to maximize that tape tape library in terms of DVDs. Right? That was or you That's know, it. VHSs. Yeah. To sell at Blockbuster, which is no longer in business. So no, there wasn't because nobody anticipated the technology that would emerge, you know, nine or ten or twelve. 15 years later. So there was no valuation specifically on the tape library. Hey everybody, Wayne Allen Root, the king of Vegas sports gambling and America's odds maker. And by the way, the media is the one who gave me those brand names. 36 years, the best of the business with my own star on the Vegas Walk of Stars with Frank Sinatra, Elvis and Wayne Newton. Not too shabby. Former odds maker and NFL analyst for CNBC in those days was called Financial News Network. Today it's called CNBC. And I was the best in the world at what I did on national TV for several years with CNBC. And now I bring all my expertise winning 
point spread advice, picking winners, making your money, profitability. It's all about winning on NFL and college football and basketball and baseball and every sport you can name at VegasWinners.com. So far this season, I've started out on fire, 23-8 and eight in the NFL, unheard of, almost 80% winners, 12-1 and one with the biggest TV games, primetime, Thursday night, Monday night, Sunday night games, and 4-0 and oh with four games of the year in the last four weeks. I've now won 13 of my last 15 NFL Sundays, and every record I just quoted you is independently documented and monitored by an independent service, so you know you get honesty and credibility and integrity with every pick from Wayne Allen Root. So go to VegasWinners.com right now. Register. It takes less than a minute to register, and then you're off and running with $1,000 in free coupons. Yes, I'm giving you $1,000 in free winners to start you off at VegasWinners.com. Go check it out. Best sports handicapping site in the world, VegasWinners.com. If I'm not your cup of tea, I went out and found 21 of the greatest sports handicappers in the world, all 21 in a lineup at VegasWinners.com, giving you their best point spread winners every single day, seven days a week, VegasWinners.com. All right. Slick is up next. He said, I got two questions. Eric touched on the NWO Nitro and WCW Thunder again. Does he think he'd have one world champion who competed on both shows or separate champions if it did come to pass? Separate champions that would ultimately maybe once a year compete against each other with some very, very high stakes. Okay. Adam Lou said, was there ever talk to make a WCW developmental in the Northeast? Meltzer once said there was talk. No. Okay. I knew as soon as I said the last line, it was over. No, it's just like, I, why even? It's just, you know, now, I you know. know. I do. Uh, Paul Benedict says, hey, sir, if the object was to create an NWO show where, the, where there would be a wrestling company with the opportunity to eventually turn NWO, how would the already NWO talent be portrayed? Your comments on the previous week's show makes me think they'd be invincible. Best of luck with a hundred thousand subscriptions on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We should have prefaced the show. Oh, right? well, so I have it. Yeah. Before I have we go it. any further, yeah. I refuse to speak until everybody that's listening <laughs> to this podcast goes to YouTube and subscribes to 83 weeks. I blew that opportunity. I won't do it again. Expect it at the head of next week's show. Uh, no, look, it would have been you. It, look, you can take a look at at Raw and SmackDown, and you can kind of see what the template probably would have been. Something's very similar to that. Two separate champions. You would have heel NWO heels, and you'd have NWO baby faces, and you would have a category of talent that were neither, but were exclusive to either one of those shows, who were trying to 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 reach the WCW kind of official level or trying to reach the NWO official status. They would have been kind of a loosely constructed independent kind of team of wrestlers that would come in and vie for position by virtue of their success and their wins and their characters. It's pretty simple, really. Eric, do you have time for two more? Before we I do. All right, let's do two more. Jeremy Sasser, in 1999, after Rick took over as president of the company, was there ever talk of Rick turning heel and sliding with NWO and Hogan? No. I mean, I tried to talk to Rick many times about, not many times, but on more than one occasion about turning heel. And Rick, Rick just, excuse me, 
Read the question to me again. I want to make sure I answer it sure. correctly. In 1999, after Rick took over as president of the company, was there ever talk of Rick turning heel and siding with NWO and Hogan? Okay, I almost answered that incorrectly. No, there was never any talk about Rick joining the NWO. That would have been the most horrible case. And I've, I've, you know, I'm guilty of doing some stupid shit, right? Um, but when it came to casting, I'm, and I've made some bad choices there as well, but putting Rick in the NWO would be right there at the top. That would have been a square peg in a round hole for any number of very good reasons. Now, Rick loved being a heel. He loved being a heel. There were times when I tried to convince him to be a baby face. That's what I was about to get wrong. Ah. But Rick did not want to be a baby face. And when he was, it was temporary. Rick loved being a heel. That's when he was his most comfortable as a performer. All right. Final question. Mosey Mosquito has a question. I'm really curious how the renegade came about. Was this gimmick meant to lure the warrior to WCW and eventually face off against the ripoff out of all the wrestlers? Rick Wilson was chosen. I actually really liked that character. No, it wasn't Rick Wilson and the warrior or his character came to be as a result of Jimmy Hart, who, who thought that that would be a great idea. I acquiesced. I let it happen. Um, but it had nothing to do with trying to lure Warrior to WCW. Now, had that been part of the pitch, I'd have been pretty excited about that because that's kind of just on the surface, pretty cool storyline. Could have worked if all things would have fallen into place, and we know that they probably wouldn't. But um, no, that wasn't the reason, although it's a very good afterthought. Well, guys, that's going to wrap us up this week for Ask Eric Anything. There are pages and pages. Eric, I'm not kidding, 28 pages of questions for you. So I'm sure, I promise you, we will get back to those questions. We are going to save them and come back and get all your questions in. Eric, my goodness, the popularity of this show just went crazy after what happened last week and all the statements. And uh, so I'm sure we'll get back to that. But next week, you and Conrad will be discussing the late, great Bobby Heenan. Are you looking forward to that one? I am indeed. I am indeed. And it's really funny. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Milwaukee for the Crusher Fest. And, you know, Bobby, I think, was originally from Indianapolis and spent a lot of time in that part of the country, including Milwaukee. And I heard a lot, I was with Crusher's daughters. Um, they, they were a big part of the event and sitting there listening to their stories about Bobby and Crusher and all of that, just, it, it all brought it home to me in such a real way. And, you know, Bobby was a beloved character, you know, by wrestling fans. And uh, yeah, I'm anxious to talk about it. Well, guys, listen, you can be a part of that episode, too. There's a tweet out on social media now on Twitter asking for your questions for that episode. So make sure you go out to Twitter, ask Eric any question that you have about Bobby Heenan, and we'll try to do our best to make sure it's part of that episode. You and Conrad will be back. You have lots of stuff to cover up soon. You're going to talk TNA's Turning Point, Nitro in 96, where you stood in the ring across from Roddy Piper and joined the NWO. Uh, as Conrad would say, we're about to strap on the rocket ship, Eric. And so a lot of fun is coming your way. Before we get out of here, we're going to talk about some fun stuff. But I want to hear from you, Eric. Why is it important for these guys to sign up at adfreeshows.com? Just talk about the value that's over there if you're a member of Adfree Shows. 
the, the, I don't even know you can calculate the value anymore for the amount of great, very unique content. That's, and that's the, the biggest thing for me is you're going to see here, be a part of live in some respects, vis-a-vis um, -vis our, our, our Zoom kind of chats and live chats that we do with people. You're going to be talking to, you know, myself and Arn and Tony and so many great talents. Um, Kurt, Angle, I mean, my God, you know, to just be able to sit down and have a live conversation and, and have in that environment and be able to hear from people who were such a big part of wrestling history at that time and period uh, is invaluable to me as a, would be as a wrestling fan. And it's just fun. You know, it's just the team. I have nothing to do with it other than, you know, occasionally I'm on it as, as a talent. But what Conrad and the team, including yourself, Paul, have created in terms of that platform, I think is one of the best values in sports entertainment slash professional wrestling today. And you can't get it anywhere else, man. And it's very unique and it's high quality stuff. History, if you like the history of professional wrestling, the heritage, the nostalgia, you know, the conversations with Conrad, you know, component of AdFreeShows.com is, is invaluable. Mm. Because you're hearing firsthand from people that you have not heard firsthand from. And Conrad asks the right questions and he's amazing at his interviews. You know, he brings people out of their shell the way he brought Jim Hurd out of his shell. And we, we heard things from Hurd. I love that, that, you know, no one else has ever been exposed to before. So whatever it is you're into, you know, what, what is, uh, Rebels Happy Hour? Oh, I'm a part of that this one, is a buddy. Fun show. Oh, so good. It's, so whatever it is that you love about this industry, you're going to get a plethora, oh. a cornucopia of great stuff over at adfreeshows.com. Check it out, guys. Speaking of conversations with Conrad, part two of the Jerry Jerry interview drops this week. So definitely check it out. Hey, follow us on social media at 83 weeks and support Eric. You can support him big time. As he mentioned over at 83 weeks on youtube.com. Eric, we moved the needle since last week. You're at 67.2 thousand subscribers. It was 66.5. So we're moving in the right direction, but we got to get to that hundred thousand man. Yeah. And I'm, I may do some special stuff over there. In fact, I'm thinking about it. So I'm going to talk to some of the team members here who are really, you know, Steve Kaufman and others who are really into the YouTube part of our business. Um, we may do some really special stuff over there, just kind of based on the response over the last week. Yeah, there's something over there to do, too, that's exclusive to YouTube. So, yeah, join up. And before we go, because I got to get in my truck and head down to lacrosse, it's going to be a beautiful trip. Shut up and wrestle. Grab all your favorite 83 Weeks merch at boxofgimmicks.com. And Eric, within hours of that show dropping, it's already the number one seller. Shut up and wrestle. Remember, the brain is on its way. Until next time, for Eric Bischoff, this is Paul Bromwell. And this has been 83 Weeks. We'll see you next week. You know, it's time to talk about our friend, Steven Singer. Now, not everybody knows this, but our old pal Steven started out as a jewelry and diamond wholesaler he was selling nationally to other jewelry stores. So why in the world would Steven open his own store? Well, Mr. Singer saw that other jewelers were focusing on the wrong things. You see, the jewelry business was about playing pricing games just to make a buck. 
Steven wanted to help people celebrate love with diamonds. He never wanted to be in the jewelry business. You heard right. Steven's in the love business. Steven Singer Jewelers is the love store. Okay, not that type of love store. It's the place to buy real diamond jewelry for your real love. Steven has been in the love business for over four decades because he knew he could deliver better quality jewelry at a much better price and treat people like friends, not paychecks. So there's no gotchas, there's no sales, there's no hassle, just easy and fun. The smartest way to buy jewelry and diamonds for the moments that matter most, real diamonds from a real jeweler you can trust. So call, chat, text, Zoom, or visit his showroom or check him out online at IHateStevenSinger.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.